Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. You know, Tyler, sometimes it just seems like the only thing we all talk about and do on the American Shoreline is move sediment around. You know, they mean, there's all of the work that gets done on maintaining navigation channels around the United States shoreline. There's incredible effort going into restoration of habitat and, uh, and estuaries that involves the placement of material for wetlands restoration, and island restoration. I mean, sediment management is so much the work of what coastal professionals and coastal local government officials contend with, including the things like beach nourishment. So the process that is involved in moving sediment around the American shoreline can get pretty complicated, Tyler. And the show today is really dedicated to trying to see what can be done to improve how sediments are managed in the United States. And I think we're going to have a fantastic show today on this topic. Well, we definitely are. And I couldn't agree with you more. The truth of the matter is that the coastal space is the most dynamic part of the planet. Things are moving around all over the place. And what is particularly interesting is that our political boundaries don't really correlate too well with the way the natural systems want to move. And as uh, science has improved, as our understanding of how sediments move around has grown, uh, we are now at a place where we can do a better job of managing how sediments move around. And for this, we have an amazing uh, panel of guests, two guests today, friends of the pod both. Peter, why don't you introduce them? Well, joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast is Nicole Elko. She is the science director for the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association. And Derek Brockbank, uh, the executive director of the Coastal States Organization, and we've asked them to come on the show because they've recently released a report jointly by ASBPA and Coastal States Organization on regional sediment management. And I'm going to introduce the title of this report, and we'll be talking about it as the report from here on out. But it's called Sediment Placement Regulations of the United States Coastal States and Territories Towards Regional Sediment Management Implementation. The report came out just about... Uh, in the last month. It's absolutely fantastic. I can tell you we've already employed it at my workplace. It's been distributed. There's a lot of excitement about the level of detail in this report. It's absolutely helpful to all the coastal professionals out there and the coastal local government folks who work in this issue. So the subject matter of today's show is the ASBPA CSO report uh, on coastal, on regional sediment management, Tyler. I can't wait to dive in and walk out on this report, Peter. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. Support for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today comes from Geodynamics, an NV5 company. Geodynamics' team of specialists provide accurate surveys of complex coastal environments around the world using the latest technology in marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing. With customized vessels and sensor configurations, Geodynamics delivers meticulous data products to answer their clients' toughest questions. Visit nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com to learn more about Geodynamics and their solutions that improve lives. And from the Coastal Zone Foundation. The Certified Coastal Practitioner Program from the Coastal Zone Foundation offers courses covering 11 different subject areas, including coastal engineering, ecology, geology, project management, and more. The CCP program emphasizes a multidisciplinary approach to coastal zone management, setting you apart from the competition and demonstrating your commitment to best practices and a code of ethics in your field. With modules available online or as live short courses, the CCP program is accessible to coastal professionals at all stages of their careers. Learn more at coastalzonefoundation.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the CNT Daily Blast newsletter for the latest news and updates from around the American shoreline. Want to support our work? Learn more about sponsorship packages at coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. 
Well, Nicole and Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast and to introduce our listeners to the fantastic work that your organizations have produced here in the last month. Welcome to ASP. Yeah, thanks, Peter. Happy to be here. Thank you so much, Peter. Hearing you say the title, I think uh, CSO needs to employ one of those interns they have on the Hill that creates titles that have good acronyms, because this is just a long, a long mouthful of a report, but it's also a really, really good report. Happy to talk about it. Well, thank you very much. I'm going to, Nicole, if we could start, I, I, I was looking at the report, of course, and as I said, I've shared it in my workplace and it is already bouncing around our internal groups about the, the quality of the report and the information provided. According to the report, the highlight, the goal of this report is to highlight best practices and coastal program successes in managing sediment resources and to elevate effective regional sediment management and beneficial use of dredge material policies and practices. That's the official statement of the goal of the report. But Nicole, if you would be so kind, uh, would you give us an overview of the report and what led to its creation? Sure, I'd be happy to. We Derek and I both represent organizations, as you mentioned in the intro, that work with sediment um, pretty much exclusively. <laughs> um, it, is, it is the basis of a lot of our coastal resilience efforts. And there is, and it's not easy to, to move sediment, right? Um, a coastal restoration project requires a lot of advanced planning, feasibility studies, permitting, and um, the, the regulatory atmosphere for planning one of these projects is quite complex, right? Numerous state and federal agencies are involved. So when a project, a coastal resilience project that involves the placement of sediment is proposed, there are um, state regulations that govern when, where, and how the sediment can be placed. And if the proposer of the project, the project manager is the federal government, then that introduces certain challenges. If the proposer is a private entity, they're held to a little bit different standards. There are also numerous federal requirements. So it's a confusing and complicated process, this placement of sediment. And our goal was to bring together the state and federal regulators that are responsible for issuing those permits and have them explain their processes so that we can have a national perspective on this topic. Um, so I think that's the key here is that many of these, obviously the states are, are localized and many of the federal agencies even work out of their own regional offices. So it's very rare to be able to really step back like you can with this report and get a national perspective on a topic like sediment placement. Derek, uh, I want to kick the basically the same question to you if you want to add on, but also if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit more on sediment management uh, historically and what is the evolution toward re regional sediment management? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the, the origin of the report and then sort of go back to that second question about sediment management um, more historically. And, and I think Nicole really captured the purpose of the report and sort of the idea of the report, which was the genesis. And this was something that, you know, Nicole and I had been talking about, and we've probably talked about this at ASBPA meetings going back, you know, a decade or so. Um, but we really decided, so this sort of started back when I was at ASBPA and was talking with my predecessor at CSO, Bradley Watson, and, and you know, he was totally on board with it too. We agreed that this was something that needed to be a collaboration across the two organizations because it involves sediment placement, which is really the core of, of ASBPA's work and, and state regulatory and coastal management, which is what CSO does. And so we knew we wanted to work on this. And then um, really the, the, uh, the secret ingredient that made it click was um, getting the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Institute for Water Resources involved, and I need to give them a tremendous amount of credit. They're sort of the think tank of the Corps, um, so they do policy research and help fund policy research. And so we worked with them, uh, and they helped fund this report and actually helped work on it with us. And so that really that really allowed this report to become a go from being an idea, something we discuss over drinks at a happy hour at ASBPA, to a 234 page report with appendices and state level um, uh, actions and state level uh, uh, oversight or 
reviews of every state. So really huge credit to uh, Army Corps Institute for Water Resources. Um, so I'll, I'll pivot now to your next question, which was sort of the history of sediment management. Um, you know, we've been doing sediment management for 100 years. You go back to the first uh, beach nourishment in Coney Island, that was over 100 years ago now. And so we've been, uh, and heck, even before that, uh, they were engineering the Mississippi River to make sure that the sediment that was in the river was being pushed off the continental shelf to, or pushed out the end of the river to make sure that you could get navigation. So we've been doing sediment management at some level for 150 years in this country. And I think really in the past mm, 50, we've started to realize that it's start. It's important to reuse that sediment, that sediment isn't a, a limitless supply. And as we've seen sea level rise and, and uh, some of the challenges coming with climate change, it's becoming more and more important that we don't lose the sediment that we have in our systems. And as as you noted at the top, you know, sediment dynamics don't necessarily follow political jurisdictions. And so we really felt like it was important to try to understand that. Um, and, and so we've seen, you know, a, an ever increasing movement towards better regional sediment management, making sure we are using our sediment, we are managing our sediment in a way that is sustainable, that reuses sediment, that doesn't treat sediment as a spoil. Many people, you know, many of our listeners have been working on this for a while, might remember it. they used to be called spoils and now we call them resources um, because they are right. It's not stuff we need to get rid of the stuff we need to reuse. So it's been a, it's been an interesting evolution of how we, how we view sediment over the past couple decades. You know, it's a classic example of uh, one person's trash is another person's treasure. I mean, literally uh, this has gone from historically like, Hey, we have too much of this stuff. Let's dispose of it somewhere and get it out of our site to a, whoa, 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 this is really gold. This is important stuff. We don't have much of it. It's really a great, I, I, it's, 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 a, it's an interesting story of how we value this natural material and how that has changed over time. And it's just, it, I think it's, a, it's probably one of the most interesting, from a coastal management perspective, one of the most interesting shifts we've seen. And a couple other things about sediment that I'd like to talk about is uh, there's different types of sediment. And uh, could you talk a little bit about what it actually is that we're talking about? I mean, where does this stuff come from and how is it used uh, in a valuable way? What makes it valuable? Right. So um, I actually am a huge advocate for getting us away from using the word material and moving us toward the term sediment. And I'm delighted that I've heard that already so far in this recording. Um, so all of you out there, uh, the, you know, the, the acronym beneficial use of dredge material, we, we use a lot BUDM and it's sort of a standard industry standard now, but, but it does use that word material. But like, like Peter mentioned, what we're talking about here is sediment, um, you know, from the perspective of those of you that are beach nourishment advocates, um, that, that, that portion of the sediment is sand. Uh, you've heard it referred to as clean sand or beach quality material. So that type of sediment has typically greater than 80 or 90% sand. And then there's 10 or 20% that would be silt or your finer sediments, right? Leaning toward the, the muddier side of things, right? The smaller and smaller, the grain size, the, the, we move from sand into silt and then into to muds. And all of those materials are incredibly valuable depending on the type of coastal restoration project you're targeting. So for example, if we are looking at a wetland restoration, um, marsh enhancement, those types of projects would require siltier sediments, right? You don't need that, that clean beach quality material. Um, and then there are a lot of interesting studies out right now that look at just how the sediment actually changes during the dredging process. So you may have, you may do testing in your borrow area. So that's where you're going to get the sand, whether that be a navigation channel or perhaps an offshore sand shoal. And that sediment may have a grain size of 70% sand with, you know, 30% fine sediments through the dredging process those fine sediments are washed away. And when the sand is pumped or when the sediment is pumped into the project area, 
we often see that 70% go down significantly, uh, or sorry, increase significantly, such that we're left with, you know, greater than 90% SAN. So the, the great question as to, you know, what are we exactly talking about when we, when we say we're, we're managing this sediment in a more efficient way, we're also learning a lot more. So there's, a, there's fascinating technical research in, involved with, with that question. Uh, uh, Nicole, the, the, uh, the, the notion that sediment is a resource and that we should be more efficient in how we handle it uh, is quite it's quite sensible. It seems very common sense that if we're going to clear a navigation channel and the material in the channel is usable for other objectives, beach restoration, wetland restoration, creating a barrier islands or enhancing barrier islands, it seems sensible that, that we could figure out a way to maximize the beneficial use of this material. But the fact of the matter is, and I think what the report makes clear, is it's not easy to do it. Uh, it's easy to understand. It's quite common sense that it would be done. But the, there's a lot of barriers to how this material is managed and the complexity of the approval processes um, the Corps of Engineers, General Spellman has announced that the Corps of Engineers' objective is to use 70% of the dredge sediments beneficially by the year 2030. That's coming up in eight years. When you're looking at the report, uh, tell our audience a little bit about what is it about the, uh, the process that we utilize uh, to manage sediments that makes regional sediment, regional sediment management and beneficial use of this material, a challenge. What are we trying to overcome? Yeah, I'll I'll do a couple, and then I think maybe Derek might want to tackle a couple of the um, you know the kind of policy and uh, barriers because the barriers are are, are many. Uh, I just talked a lot about sediment and the research that's involved in um, understanding the types of sediment that we need. So. There's, there's limited design guidance, for, exa- for example, for those wetland restoration projects, right? We, we just haven't done enough of those projects or studied wetlands to the extent that we've studied beaches to know what type of sediment sh- um, would be required. So many states don't even have uh, regulations or rules or uh, you know policies and procedures about how to how to do a wetland restoration project. So, so research is actually a, a huge opportunity. Um, here. And then I would say a, a, another big barrier, one that is mentioned very frequently when we talk to stakeholders, whether that be federal or, or state um, managers, it's this notion of matching supply to demand, right? Um, so as you mentioned, Peter, it might be time to dredge a navigation channel. And um, a lot of times the core doesn't have much time once they're authorized by Congress and the project is appropriated, right? It's, it's time to clear the channel. It's required for navigation. Well, perhaps their state partner, you know, on the downdrift beach that may want to utilize that sediment isn't there yet. They don't have the required authorizations. It might be turtle nesting season and they can't put the sand on the beach. So the timing um, that, that goes along with matching supply to demand, getting all the permits in line, making sure the sediment is suitable, it's close enough. If it's too far away, it's too expensive. A lot of kind of logistics that have to take place. So those are just two that I'll mention. Um, Derek maybe wants to talk about funding or, or other challenges. Yeah, I'll jump in. And, and Nicole sort of hit on two that were a little bit specific, but in, in our report, we did identify five areas. Um I think we we refer to them as sort of opportunities for improvement rather than barriers or challenges, but you know, in some ways they that's what they are, right? So she mentioned research. Um, the second thing was project development and review. So the timing of the project development, figuring out how the project can take a, a restoration project or a beach project can take advantage of an existing dredging project. So that's the project development review. Um, the third would be funding, and obviously, you know, this is at the heart of a lot of different projects. Where's the funding? Who's paying for it? How are they paying for it? How are we able to envision cost savings? How we're looking at, you know, the full life cycle costs, right? It might be cheaper to get rid of a sediment um, now, but if you're going to need that sediment in the future, but you've gotten rid of it forever, you're not looking at the full life cycle cost. So funding is a big issue. Um, And then the third is interagency collaboration. 
And um, we talked about a bit about this earlier, but managing sediment looks across local, state, and federal agencies, and often across multiple agencies within the, each of those jurisdictions. So in, even the states, you might have the coastal zone management program, uh, sort of managing the coastal resources. You might have the Department of Transportation doing local dredging. You're going to have natural resource departments who are doing coastal restoration. You've got local jurisdictions. So you really need to have this interagency collaboration where you're bringing all the stakeholder, all the agency stakeholders together to plan out projects. And then uh, the, the, the fifth, and, and really, I think, pretty much the heart of what this report was about is policy and regulatory challenges. And that gets to the idea that, you know, what we were talking about earlier, really, there's been this shift in um, sediment being seen as a as a something we don't want to something that we do want. So much of the regulatory framework in the United States, both at the federal level and the state level, around coastal restoration and, and clean water came from the 70s, where we wanted to try and avoid filling wetlands, right? You wanted you wanted to save the wetlands, so you didn't want to fill the wetlands. And so much of the regulatory framework was based on the fact that we didn't want to put dirt or sediment or materials in the wetlands. And now when we're trying to restore the wetlands or even just help the wetlands keep pace with sea level rise by placing sediment on there, we've got this regulatory environment that was based on the concept of let's not fill those wetlands. And so we're having to sort of reconfigure how we work within that framework. And in some cases, there are probably opportunities to change some of those regulatory, uh, some of that regulatory framework. So Derek, uh, all around the American shoreline, there exists sediment uh, and sediments moving around. Um, and it, obviously, uh, we're all managing sediment, whether we're talking about big, 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 you know, ports and harbors with that everyone could think of like Houston or New York or something along those lines, all the way down to, you know, your, your local area is dealing with sand washing up and, and all that business. But uh, an important character on the American shoreline when it comes to sediment management is the United States Army Corps of Engineers. Would you explain um, as an organization, but also kind of from a policy perspective, why General Spellman's 70% objective by 2030 is so important? Yeah, that's that's good. And, you know, at a most simple level, the Army Corps of Engineers probably moves more dirt than anyone, any other organization in, I would say, the world, but certainly in the United States. So the Army Corps is responsible for um, dredging uh, federally authorized channels. It's responsible for uh, maintaining uh, beach width uh, and maintaining beaches. Uh, across the country, and it's it's charged with ecosystem re- uh, aquatic ecosystem restoration, so restoring wetlands. So, a huge, huge part of what the core does is is take sediment from where it's not wanted and put sediment where it is wanted. Um, and I would say, I think for too long, those two objectives have been seen uh, seen very differently. Right, the core. The Corps' navigation team removes sediment, and the Corps' restoration and coastal team places sediment. But those can be different budget line items. They're often different uh, in many divisions and districts. The person that manages those two are different. And so the Corps needs to start looking across their budget line items, looking across their mission areas to think about how they can use them together. And so that's why this is a, a you know, a real fundamental shift for the Corps. Um, and I think you know, to Spellman's credit, I think, and to many of the district's credit, I think a lot of folks are now thinking about this or really trying to think about, okay, how do we, how do we align the mission areas of navigation, which is to, you know, keep channels clear and the mission areas of, of restoration and coastal management um, to keep our beaches clear, but that's going to take some structural changes and it's going to take some creative thinking and creative budgeting, um, you know, thinking about how we can look broadly. So it's an amazing goal. I think it's something that, that, that should be done. And I think the core is, is on its way to doing that, but it's going to take more than just sort of more than just announcements. It's actually going to figure out how the, the systems and the processes work so that the core can actually accomplish that. And Nicole, what stands in the way of getting to 70%? What are, I mean, I, since I have been in the coastal space, the terms uh, beneficial use of dredge material, or, or as you suggest, Nicole, changing it to beneficial use of dredge sediments. I like that. Better acronym, Derek. You get BUDS. I like BUDS. But what what would you say, uh, Nicole, are some of the, the trends that you have seen? Clearly, uh, 
beneficial use is a is makes sense as <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. What's standing in the way? What are some trends that suggest that things are moving in the right direction? So there are. Um We've mentioned the barriers that are are cited in the report. So those are all valid um, barriers to to meeting that goal. Um, And, you know, I think one of them, the main thing that, that we found in this report is that it takes champions. You know, it takes someone that really cares and wants to say, you know what, I know that dumping this sand in that offshore placement area is what my predecessors and the ones that before them have done for the last 75 years of, of dredging this particular navigation channel. But it's time now to, to take the next step and to do the harder thing, right? It, beneficial use of dredge sediment is not easy. It is not the path of least resistance. So it requires people to step up and really um, own the project and, and reach out to their to their partners, to reach out to their their, um, their state partners, the, finding the local people that are going to um, not only act as the project sponsor but act as the spokesperson, right? Be the face of that project for the for the local entity that may have to put up some additional funding to make the project happen. So collaborations, um, as Derek mentioned, are are one of the big uh, opportunities that we've identified in the report. And I believe that with General Spellman's motivating charge to to the districts, that that's going to be what it takes for for people at the districts to really step up and say, "Yep, it's time. We're we're going to do something different here." And we've seen it. We've already seen many districts responding um, eagerly to you know, figuring out this challenge. A lot of uh, young new engineers have been hired that are coming in at both the state and federal level that that recognize that sediment is a valuable resource. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of excitement around meeting this goal. So let, let me just ask a question. Is, is, uh, is what you're saying, uh, and Derek, feel free to jump in, but is what you're saying that... Um, the challenge is that, you know, we've we've been dredging these channels longer than the concept of regional sediment management or maybe even sediment management, in, at least in terms of placing it on shorelines, has existed. And so we need to make a change. Change is always hard. But it seems like the challenge is like we need to identify in order to hit this Spellman 70 percent objective, we're going to need to identify a bunch of good places to put this material. Uh, and it's going to cost something different because it's going to be a different type of placement than historically done. Is that the, is that the really, is that the challenge is finding the beneficial places to place it? It's one of them. Sure. You know, a great example here, I'm, I'm based in Charleston, South Carolina, and this is somewhere where we have been managing and messing with sediment transport for, uh, well over a hundred years. The Charleston Harbor jetties were built in the late 1800s to um, provide safe navigation through a very scary uh, offshore shoal complex off of Charleston, where uh, during the Civil War, there were many, many shipwrecks. So uh, jetties were constructed that are three miles long, right? And that that will mess with your longshore sediment transport. Let me tell you, for the beaches downdrift of that harbor, they've had they've been suffering from chronic erosion. So, um, you know, every grain of sand that you can essentially, quote, throw over the jetties is going to help those downdrift beaches. And um, opening our minds to, well, we don't, yes, we need, okay, this beach is eroding, we need to nourish it. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to pump sand onto the beach, right? There are other things we can do with that sediment. Um, we can place sand in the near shore so that we let Mother Nature gradually move the sediment onshore over time. We can even take the sediment that we would normally dredge out of that navigation channel that is not beach quality and do things with it to, quote, keep it in the system, right? Because that sediment is needed for marshes. That sediment is needed to blow around and build dunes, that finer sediment I mentioned earlier. So it's the this, this sense that every grain of sand we take out of the system is essentially decreasing our resilience. So we are coming up with innovative placement areas, like you say, Peter, to you know, figure out how to not only use the sediment beneficially, but do it for the higher purpose of 
of bolstering us against the coming sea level rise. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, I really appreciated, Nicole, your comment that uh, one of the key elements of moving forward and hitting Spellman's goal of 70% uh, uh, of the ben- uh, using material 70% beneficially uh, requires advocates and champions and spokespersons to do that. Uh, Derek, there is also the other side of the coin on the policy side on Capitol Hill in the Water Resources Development Act. Uh, Congress uh, authorized the Corps to undertake, I think it was 10 beneficial use projects in an iteration of WERDA a few years back. Uh, that's, 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 that, when, they, when they put out the call for projects, I think the report says that more than 95 proposals were brought forward. Uh, I just have to ask you, as, is there a structural change in WERDA and in the Corps' internal guidance that has to happen to open the door to this 70% objective that General Spellman has laid out. What do we have to do legislatively, if anything, in your opinion? I feel like this answer is sort of what do we need to do is this sort of quintessential improv where it's yes and. Yes, we need to do that <laughs> and we need to do something else. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. that, and I think that's that bears out in our report. We have 60 recommendations. Normally, I, you know, I'm a policy guy, right? You go to, you go to your member of Congress and you have one, two, maybe three asks, and, and this report lays out 60 recommendations. But I think that's because this is not a, there is no silver bullet solution, right? There's a lot of things that need to happen. Um, and so, yes, there are structural solutions. There are worded requirements. There are absolutely champions. I wanted to touch on the the, the champs and advocates thing, because one of the, the thing that I enjoyed most about working on this report is um, we had the opportunity to do seven different uh, workshops all across the country, some in person, some virtual um, with state regulators, federal regulators, and and regional sediment management champions. And, you know, I, I almost hate to name drop because there's so many that, but, you know, folks like Monica Chasen at the Philly District of the Corps and Lenore Tedesca with the, the Seven, Mile Innova- Seven Mile Island Innovation Lab, you know, folks out west in, like Brenda Gaden at, at the Bay Conservation and Development uh Commission. There's just so many folks that are thinking about this and are doing it, are being innovative. The Great Lakes um, dredge team is just filled with folks who are trying to figure out how to do this better. And so there's just all these great lessons learned. And I think part of the report was to say, okay, let's let's learn from these great lessons, right? You're doing some good work here. How can that be translated? So um, some tremendous champions out there. And I fully agree with uh, Nicole on that. And then yes, there are policy changes. Um, the the uh, Section 1122 um, of WERDA 2016 was the authorized pilot project. And some of those have moved forward. Some of those are still sort of in the process of working forward. There are other projects that are awaiting that. Um, so that needs to happen. There needs to be funding for those projects. Um, if I can if I can get a little wonky on you, because, uh, you know, that's my job. It is uh, one of the things that we have called for in the report, and one of the things that is happening at the core and will be happening soon, hopefully, is developing agency-specific procedures for what are the called the principles, requirements, and guidelines. So um, this is basically a, a directive from uh, the president saying we should be thinking more broadly, more holistically about how we um, we develop water resources projects. We shouldn't be developing water resources projects for a single benefit. We should be developing water resources for multiple benefits. And um, unfortunately for sort of strange bureaucratic and political reasons, the Corps was prevented from implementing uh, that executive order. Uh, but as of 2020, Word of 2020 said, yes, go ahead, implement that order. And so the Corps is developing rules to say, okay, how can we think about water resources projects that aren't just one thing or another, they're multiple things. How does that impact budgeting? How does that impact how we develop cost calculations? Um, and so things like that, I mean, it sounds silly, right? It's these like, you know, bureaucratic rules but that's what you know. The core is a is a is an agency that's based on laws, and it has guidance that it has to follow. And so, changing some of those guidance can change how they develop projects, and that that's what leads to better better sediment management. Well, I think it's why the report is so important. The fact that uh, ASBPA uh, is an author as well as the Coastal State Organization, with the uh, direct involvement of the Corps of Engineers uh, Institute for Water Resources. I mean, th- it's all about tr- tr- turning the ship of state in, uh, in in a sense. Here, it's not easy to do, as you say. These are highly, highly managed and regulated uh, decision making processes, and getting it set up. 
uh, in the right way to facilitate uh, the regional sediment management and beneficial use of these sediments takes work uh, within the system. And Derek, you mentioned that there are more than 50 recommendations in this report. Uh, Could you highlight uh, uh, your favorites or some of the most important or critical recommendations that that ASBPA and CSO brought to the table? Yeah, I'll I'll share a couple and then Nicole might want to add some too, because I I tend to come from more of the policy and regulatory. And there's, as she mentioned, there's a lot of uh, research needs out there too. Um, One of the things that I'm really excited about that's going to be happening in the next uh, couple years is the co-development and implementation of five-year regional dredge material management plans. So those are, I'll say that again, it's their regional dredge material management plans. Um, And so every district at the core uh, will need to develop these multi-year plans of where they plan to dredge sediment and where they plan to place sediment um, in the coming five years. Now, because the Corps operates on annual uh, appropriations from Congress, they can't say with 100% certainty, this is where we will dredge this year or any year beyond just you know one year out. But by putting together these plans, they allow local stakeholders to start better thinking about, okay, where do we want to plan for our projects? Because we know this is where it's going to be dredged. So you can start aligning timing of, of project of restoration project development because you have a better sense of where dredging is going to happen. So that one's, I think, a really exciting one. Um, the plans are intended to be developed across core districts with states, with locals. Um, so it's an exciting one. We, we, we supported it for years. We included it in here and it is actually being worked on. Um, so, uh, so that, that's one. Um, and then the other one is, you know, concur is sort of an obvious one, but looking to do concurrent, uh, regulatory reviews. So if you are trying to get a federal permit and a state permit, working to both, so this is a sort of collaboration and regulatory at the same time, collaborating so that you can move forward on those permitting efforts at the same time. So you're not first doing your federal permit, and then once you've got your federal permit, then you have to do a state permit or, or vice versa, because that just adds so much time to the matter. And you know, in, in this case, is not only is time money, but if you're waiting on a, a permits for a placement project and that dredging happens, that sediment might be gone by the time you have your permits to get your, your placement project. So really making sure that those permitting can be aligned is a, is a good one. But I'll, I'll also be interested to hear what Nicole says. Yeah, Nicole, um, on the recommendations side, please highlight the uh, recommendations you feel are most important that the listeners need to, to be aware of. Thanks, Peter. The, um, the collaborations that I mentioned earlier are, are a key one. So um, the another partner that we haven't mentioned here yet, but we, that we need to is the uh, Army Corps of Engineers Engineering Research Development Center's Regional Sediment Management Program. So ERDIC uh, is, is the, you know, the research arm of the Corps, and they recognized several decades ago now that um, actually one of the Coastal Engineering Research Board meetings had its theme as, as um, regional sediment management. And that's kind of the, that when that program began and it has been, um, you know, in the late 90s, and it has been a, a really important part of the, the research, the R&D side of the core for a while now. The, and that's where a lot of these champions that, you know, we, that Derek mentioned a few of them earlier, um, that we have been collaborating with on this project, you know, it started out with, with Linda Lillycrop as the lead, uh, and then Katie Bruchet from the Army Corps has been at the helm of that project for the last several years. So um, it's those c- collaborative um, efforts that are, are some of my favorites in terms of the recommendations, you know, the co-development of things. We have to make sure the states and the feds are talking. And then we have to also make sure that the states have a broad understanding about what is going on in in other parts of the nation, right? Um, ASBPA develops tools and products like this on a national scale, and like I mentioned at the beginning here, that provide a, a unique perspective that's really hard to get. As one, you know, in some of these states, there's one person in the entire state that is charged with thinking about this and 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 doing that regulatory or uh, sediment placement um, policies. And so it's so lovely now for them to be able to look at this report and say, wow, you know, here I am up here in 
um, New Jersey, but I see that in California and in North Carolina, they're struggling with this same challenge. And this is the way they're approaching it. They're forming an interagency group to look at um, thin layer placement on marshes and pull in each of the uh, important people from all the state, local and federal regulatory agencies to come up with a strategy. Okay, well, our rules say we're not allowed to fill wetlands, but (laughs) times are changing. So how are we going to manage that in this state? And then the states can learn from one another. And um, there are a number of case studies in here, including that North Carolina thin layer placement team that um, showcase both the champions and sort of that collaboration to share knowledge across the states. It, you know, it's, it's a great part of the report. I can tell you that the North Carolina Thin Layer Placement Guidance Document, which is referenced in the case study, is already downloaded on my computer and I've already started to go through it. I think that's one of the great things about the report, Nicole, is the case studies, they're very succinctly done, they're super factual, and there's all kinds of references on how these projects are executed in one place or another. So I I just think uh, a great job on the report, particularly on the case studies example. Um, Derek, I have a question. I can't can't, uh, skip this one because as the executive director of the Coastal States Organization, of course, you are at the lead of all of the coastal management programs that have been certified by the federal government and operate. Uh, The report points out that among the... uh, coastal management programs uh, certified by the federal government, uh, mandating beneficiaries of dredge material is a common provision in the state coastal management program universe. And the application of those state priorities or state policies occurs through the consistency review process, the state review of federal actions. Uh, You know, Derek, is there, talk to us a little bit about the role of the states in advancing regional sediment management and BUDM uh, practices, and perhaps maybe comment on the role of uh, federal consistency review powers in this regard. That's a good question. Um, So the states have many different roles in, in sediment management and different state agencies have different roles within that. So um, you know, everything from proposing projects to coordinating projects, uh, coordinating local projects. Um, in terms of federal consistency, there there is, uh, you know, that's sort of an open question um, as to how how much a state is allowed to uh, review and oppose core position on uh, least cost dredging. I mean, I think from the state's perspective, we would say, you know, certainly if they, if the state has what it deems as enforce or it has approved enforceable policies. So part of the state coastal management plan is that, you know, you need to use the sediment in a beneficial manner. Um, if the core is, uh, proposing, you know, open water disposal, then the state has the ability to say, no, that's inconsistent with our state plan and you must use it beneficially. Um, I know there have been some lawsuits in a handful of states that uh, challenge this, um, but we believe that that is something that the states have a right to do. That said, there's also the understanding that, you know, if, if you are, um, if a state does decide to make uh, open water disposal uh say you can't do open water disposal, the state is potentially limiting the amount of funding the Corps will spend on dredging because it can be more expensive to do beneficial use. So there's some open question there, but it's, uh, that one is a lingering issue. And I don't, I'm not sure if we have any specific recommendations as to how to address that. It's, I mean, it's a complicated question to say whether the states uh, should or could use the authorization or the authority under uh, the Coastal Zone Management Act to to change federal dredging. It seems like an aggressive way to resolve the problem because as you say, uh, it's not that the Corps is unaware that beneficial use is a good idea. In fact, General Spellman is quite clear that that is a significant priority of the Corps. It comes down to whether they can execute it within their authorities and budgets. Um, but I do think that, I, I do hope that over time, the role of the states in, in sediment management, maybe perhaps through the Coastal Management Program and the CCMA can can be become a little bit more powerful and more cooperative. Uh, uh, just a thought. Um, I totally I agree, and this is kind of for both of you. Um, I'll start with Nicole, but uh, this idea of regional regional 
um, how big is regional? You know, when when we're talking about uh, a, a, a federal project, let's say a big federal project, what how how big should project planners be thinking in terms of like thinking about the regional space? That's a great question. The um, the Army Corps' regions are, you know, much bigger than, for example, a littoral cell, which is what we think about from the geologic perspective. Um, and so the regions of the Corps are, you know, the South Atlantic Division, the North Atlantic Division, for example. So they break the, the country down, the, the coasts of the country down into very large scale regions. And then you have your districts that are um, sometimes roughly the size of a state or, or um, you know, a New England, for example, is probably one that encompasses many states. So that is something that's important to keep in mind, right? It's just the different scale of the agencies that are working together. Um, so you, you might be working with, for example, a very small state within New England, and then that, that, that state is working with the New England district who is trying to make its policies, its projects align with many states and many state policies. Um, so that's sort of on the policy side, but then on the, um, on kind of like the geospatial side, I mentioned littoral cells, and that is this this notion that you know se- sediment is sort of moving around the coastline in in one um, one cell, you know, one little block of an area. And um, maybe you could picture what like the Outer Banks of North Carolina look like in your head, right? These big cusps along the coastline of North Carolina, um, and this isn't just one barrier island, right? There are many barrier islands along that 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 length of coastline. So the idea is that we are all thinking, you know, every, any geologist, any engineer, any policy person that you would ask that question to is going to give you a different answer. And the idea here is for us to come together and think about big, important questions like when I am looking offshore for sand for my beach nourishment project, I am, you know, in, in, working in a certain coastal system, then I put that sand on the beach. Then what? Okay. Do I just forget about where it goes? Right. Or do I kind of track where it goes? Do I understand what we call a sediment budget and how that is moving around in the coastal system? And that's what we're advocating for. We're advocating for thinking about the transfer back into the um, area in the estuaries, the transfer offshore and the management of the sediment across those boundaries that may be natural and may be human uh, created like a confined disposal area that takes sediment out of the system forever. So very complicated uh, question that you're asking. And I'll, I'll be interested to hear Derek's follow up on that one. I don't have any follow up. I got the I got the. Uh... Federal consistency. I'll leave the regional stuff to you. I got one in the okay. chamber for you, Derek. I don't. Don't you worry. I got one in the chamber for you. So, well, first of all, I think that's a great answer, Nicole. And I, I actually think that that's a fun, a fun mental exercise uh, for all of us coastal citizens to think about how we consider uh, the various coastal regions of the country and zooming up and down, uh, you know, if you will, from like a planetary scale down into a particular region. It is actually, uh, it's interesting to see how the different systems interrelate, interrelate and uh, it, is, it's a compli- it is a complex question. After all, everything is interconnected. So we draw these lines rather arbitrarily uh, as human beings. But Derek, uh, let's talk about another human component of this, and that's the politics. Uh, in, is, is regional sediment management or beneficial use of dredged material, is any of this political in a traditional way? I mean, I, I, I've never heard of a, of a partisan split on this, but are there politics associated with, with this stuff? You know, I, I don't think there are, certainly not in the, the traditional sense. And I think it's nice. I, you know, I go up to the Hill fairly often, and, I, and I've been doing that for a while to talk coastal management, regional sediment management. And regional sediment management really is something that, like, once people get it, and it takes a while to sort of get it, it just kind of makes sense. Um, and so there isn't a... There's not a lot of pushback to it. I think where you would, the only place that I've really seen pushback really comes in the, um, well, there's the, the, the sort of the status quo, the apathy, the need to sort of break from tradition, but that's not, there's no one, you know, no one opposed to it. It's just, it's just hard to make change. The only time where I think there has been some concern and it's a legitimate concern is beneficial use of dredge material. And if you 
calculate the full life cycle cost of sediment placement, it ends up meaning that dredge costs can go up, right? If you are accounting for using that material beneficially rather than just disposing of it of, as cheaply as possible, it can end up increasing the costs. And so there are stakeholders who are, you know, we're not investing enough in maintaining the channels and inlets and um, of our country to begin with. And so if you're increasing the cost of those because you're trying to do beneficial placement, it means there could be less dredging that gets done. And so, um, so there are constituencies that are, that are, I don't want to say opposed to, but don't want to see um, the the cost of beneficial use borne out in in dredging costs. So that's the one place where I would see there's some sort of politics. But in terms of sort of conceptual, I think everyone is pretty much on board. It really is just how do you make these systemic tweaks? How do you get the science to be better? How do you uh, improve collaboration so people aren't just thinking in their silos? Those are the real challenges rather than politics. Well, I think it, it sounds like there really isn't a tremendous amount of disagreement uh, within the coastal professional community, within the federal government, really about the about the desire and the wisdom of working toward more effective regional sediment management and the beneficial use of this material. Derek, the report has just come out. I know it hasn't been on the street long, but uh, have you gotten any feel for the response from the federal government or the states, uh, the Corps of Engineers? How is the report being received so far? Yeah, it, so it just came out, but um, it's been you know two years in the making. So we, we put out a white paper that was more sort of the lay of the land about a year ago. And so this is layered in all these lessons learned and case studies and state profiles and things we've learned from the seven workshops that we held last year. Um, and so I think we have received a lot of feedback and a lot of input into the report. And it has been, I would say, you know, universally just very supportive and very appreciative of, of what's going on. And I think to me, I think almost more than just having a report, the conversations that the development of the report and hopefully the the, the production of the report um, has been has been great. I mean, we've had conversation. I had we had some great conversations with uh, Jace. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Usley Usley, um, who's the navigation manager at the core, thinking through sort of exactly what I was talking about. Of how do we do how do we how do we do beneficial use without increasing the cost to dredging, which would drive down the amount of dredging available because we are sort of constrained by how much funding Congress provides. And that's a really good conversation. And just having that, you know, getting ASBPA and the navigation team and stakeholders into the room to have those conversations triggers ideas and triggers, um, you know, creates, creates uh, uh, new thoughts and, and experiments and, and innovation. And that's really what this was about. So I think to the extent that this can help support and prompt innovation, it's going to be super helpful. And the one other piece I wanted to note on, on this is, you know, there are states and territories are in vastly different places on regional sediment management. I mean, you look at New Jersey that places a lot of sediment has been thinking about this for decades. Um, and then we, we had, uh, we talked to some of the island territories out in the Pacific. So American Samoa and Guam, and they are really at the very early stages of figuring out how to manage their sediment. And so, you know, maybe not all the lessons of, a, of, of New Jersey where they're moving millions of cubic yards of sand can translate, but some can. And I think making sure that, you know, American Samoa and Guam don't have to go through all the pitfalls that New Jersey had to to get to where they are now will be super helpful. And I think that's, I think a lot of states have appreciated, states and territories have appreciated sort of the, that aspect of the report. All right. We're, we're coming to the end. This is, you know, I, I, I love this next question. It's going to go to both of you. We'll start with Nicole. This is the vision question. Uh, what is your vision, Nicole, for uh, the condition of our nation's regional sediment management and beneficial use of dredge sediments, we'll say, over the next we'll, you know, medium term, 10, 20 years, and then off into the far distance of, say, 50 years out? What, what would you like to see? We'll start with Nicole and then Derek, if you wouldn't mind giving us your vision as well. Yeah, I love this question. Um, my vision aligns with that of, of General Spellman, and that is that by 2030, we are reusing 70% of our dredge sediments, not just the core, but all entities. You know, there's a lot, um, a, a lot of other entities that are dredging sediments around the nation. So I hope that this charge inspires us all to do this. 
Um, and um, innovation, right? Re- just relentless innovation is is my hope. And um, we're already, as I mentioned, starting to see that. We're looking at projects here in the Southeast to um, test the sediment that's in the confined disposal areas to see what the quality is. And we can take it out of there. Oh, well, you know, for the last 50 years, we've been doing the wrong thing and putting nice clean sand up in this this confined disposal area, taking it out of the system. Well, let's fix that. Let's let's get it out of there, put it to a beneficial use, and then um, use that, you know, cleaned out uh, space to store sediment for another time that maybe we don't have the vision or the ability yet to, to use, but we can save it there for 2050 when, when we have innovated to the point that those sediments are now useful and, and we, and we know what to do with them. So, you know, it will be a continuous process of adaptation and evolution that will take us through the next 10, 20, 30 years on this topic. And, um, all with the, 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 the vision that, Hey, by 2050, um, the interagency report on sea level rise is saying that we're going to see another foot of water. So sea level will be a foot higher. So, we're going to need a lot of sediment to restore our coastlines and keep up with that. I agree with Nicole. Um, I think the idea of you know creating some sort of no net loss of sediment is a is a good goal. You know, seventy percent is for twenty thirty seems right on the money. Um, but I think even upping that to you know to no no net loss uh, in the sort of longer term that twenty year timeline would be great. And I think that pushes us to twenty fifty. I think one of the untold stories is how much sediment is trapped behind dams in this country. This country has something like 80,000 dams or structures within rivers that are in some ways either preventing or slowing sediment from the center of the country from getting to the coasts. But if we're not using that sediment that gets to the coast appropriately, what's the point of dealing with that? But I would love to see that in 50 years, our conversation is not about how do we use the sediment on the coast, it's how do we accelerate the sediment that's trapped in structures upland, how do we get that to the coast so we can use that to restore our coastal areas in in an era of sea level rise. Such a good idea. That's big thinking, Derek. We know sea levels are rising. We know sediments are what maintain shoreline position all around the American shoreline. This has got to get done. You guys have done such a great job in this report in putting together Uh, this policy position, this evaluation of current practices on regional sediment management and beneficial use of dredge material. It's an outstanding product. And for anybody out there, it can be downloaded from the ASBPA website. Uh, Look it up. Uh, Derek, if folks want to learn more about the process, uh, how can they follow along with the implementation of this great report? Well, as you said, you can go to ASBPA, just go to Coastal States. It's linked from our, our homepage. We'll be continuing to talk about this and presenting on this. And, and you know, it's a resource. And the last thing I would note is um, actually two last things for me to note. I just need to give a big shout out to a handful of folks because, you know, Nicole and I are talking about this, but this report wouldn't have happened without John Ryan Henry on my team, who did a huge amount of the work, Matt Smith, who was at Coastal States and is now at Institute for Water Resources, um, and then Vidya Balasubramaniam at Coastal States, Mike Molnar, who is, was at Coastal States and was driving this process and is now at Manomet. So we've had a, a great team and, and other folks at ASBPA. Um, and uh, and then also, we're, we've got 35 uh, state profiles in there. We are dealing with hundreds of regulations. We know there might be some typos or some mistakes or things that we got wrong. So please don't hesitate to reach out to, to any of us. We want to correct that, you know. This is as accurate as we could possibly make it, but we know there are corrections. So please, please engage and let us know. We want to be correct. Well, for the folks out there that want to support this initiative, coming up March 20th is a big event in Capitol Hill. Uh, Derek and Nicole, both of you, uh, your organizations will be involved uh, in the Coastal ASBPA Coastal Summit and the CSO meeting. Derek, would you talk to us about uh, the upcoming events on Capitol Hill for the coast, the lovers of the coast coming up to talk to their reps? Yeah, excited. We are we are a lot of different coastal groups are going to be in town. You mentioned the SBPA and CSO, but we've also got partners in the estuary community with national estuary programs, national estuary and research reserves, the um, integrated ocean observing systems. You know, there's just a whole bunch of folks coming to DC to talk about what we're doing with our members of Congress, with uh, with the federal agencies. The week of March 20th, ASBPA and CSO are excited to be hosting our coastal celebration on Capitol Hill. 
on Wednesday, March 22nd, hosted by Senator Bill Cassidy. We thank him for his work on that. So it's we're really trying to make this a bit of a coastal week in Washington, D.C., and so we'll be talking about this report at many of the events and, and talking about all the good work that all our folks on the ground are doing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Nicole Elko. She is the science director of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and Derek Brockbank, the executive director of the Coastal States Organizations, two of the leading coastal professionals in America. We thank you so much for the work and the effort of your team on this report. It's absolutely fantastic, and uh, we really appreciate you sharing it with our audience today. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.